This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We're going to look at two texts today. One might be a little bit familiar, which is Deuteronomy 8.10, which is also quoted in Birkat Hamazon, the blessing after meals. And actually, that's important that it's the blessing after meals. We'll come back to that. And the verse reads, Ve'achalta v'savata uverachta et Adonai Elohecha al ha'aret ha'tova asher natan lach. When you have eaten your fill, right, so when you eat and are satisfied, you will give thanks to the Lord your God for the good land that God has given to you. That is the source text for the idea of offering blessings after meals, right? Because the, the text is actually very clear, right? The order of events is you eat and you are satisfied and you bless. One, two, three. And we're going to read that together with a passage from the Talmud in Tractate Brachot 35b. And it's worth noting that this text is actually about offering a blessing before we eat. So a little bit of a different angle, but I think also an important one. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa said, Kol min ha'olam bracha, anyone who derives benefit from this world without a blessing, ke'ilu gozel lehakadosh baruch hu Israel. It is as if they stole from God and from the community of Israel. And he brings a source text to support that. Mishinah as it is written in the book of Proverbs, whoever robs his father and his mother and says it is no transgression, that person is the companion of a destroyer. It's worth noting here that I think that the, the parallel that he's playing, right, is that sometimes God is compared to a parent, particularly a father, and the Jewish people are sometimes seen as God's partner. And so I think that the, like the parallel here is that somebody who eats or benefits without saying a blessing, that's how we get the, the doubling of God and the entire Jewish people, is because this verse right says his father and his mother, right? So that's God and the and the entirety of the community of Israel, which that is a really strong statement about what is happening when we derive benefit from something without saying a blessing. Can you tell me what is a destroyer? I don't know, Proverbs. Okay. Um, so Proverbs might have its own lingo as to, like, what is the destroyer or a destroyer. Yeah. And sometimes also, like, Proverbs is not always, like, the most, I don't want to call it coherent because that's not the right word, but... In some ways, it just reads like a collection of different adages and sayings. Mm. And so sometimes it's not even like really clear. Like it's not even that it necessarily has its own cohesive language, but sometimes it's referring to something else. But either way, I mean, I, I think the important piece of what Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa is getting at here is that deriving benefit from something without saying a blessing first is theft, which is it's a strong claim. <laughs> yeah. Given that I'm sure we have all done that, right? 
right. um, thieves, all of us. Right, right. So I guess upon hearing that, my first reaction would be that every time you say a blessing over food, you are acknowledging that in a way it is not yours. Yeah, and I would say perhaps even stronger than that, you're acknowledging that it's not yours in origin, but there's actually an ownership transfer that happens there, right? That that somehow actually saying the blessing is the moment wherein you acquire the food and now it is yours. Right. But until you've done that, until you've made that acknowledgement, it still isn't. And I'll say actually in the name of a teacher of mine, Professor David Kramer, we often think about blessings as elevating something that somehow like, oh, when we say a blessing over food, right? We're like elevating it from its natural state and like taking the ordinary and making it holy. But actually in some ways what we're doing when we say a blessing over food is that we are lowering its state, right? That actually everything exists in creation in this elevated state of belonging to God. And what we do when we make a blessing is actually we transfer it into the human domain, right? Like it becomes ours and actually lowers in sanctity the moment that we make the blessing, and that's what allows us to partake of it. Otherwise, it belongs to God, and using it is none of our business. Right. No, this is a very interesting perspective. I don't think I thought of blessings as asking for permission to consume things before. Yeah. I mean, and it makes sense, right? Because again, the model of blessing over food, at least, that we have in the Torah is the model of blessing after we eat, right? Mm -hmm. Which is clearly like about gratitude. This idea of, of offering a blessing before we eat is really a rabbinic innovation, right? The Torah doesn't tell us anywhere that we're supposed to offer a blessing before we eat. But the rabbis sort of create that and then use this really strong language to back up its importance. Right. So now from this frame, when I hear destroyer, if you go down this path of just consuming and consuming and consuming and not viewing it as part of God's creation and not viewing, you know, we could like maybe extrapolate a little and saying not viewing it as part of the greater whole and the greater ecosystem, then you will become a destroyer. Yeah. And I think in a way that's the way we consume, most of America consumes food now. I mean, like food waste is an example of we talked in an earlier podcast about food security and how or food insecurity and how actually humanity produces enough food to feed the entire humanity. All humans could be fed by the food we already produce. And food waste is like a real thing where we buy a lot of food, eat part of it and throw the rest away. And so in a way, we are destroyers. Agriculture is, can destroy environments. And, you know, leaving people in states of starvation is a form of destruction. And I think in a way, it's because we don't acknowledge that the food we consume is part of this greater whole. I feel like I go back to this a lot, <laughs> but I think it also looking at that verse from Proverbs a little bit more closely, also like comes back to this notion of entitlement that, right, the kind of theft that is being talked about in that verse, right, is somebody who steals from their parents. And then somebody who steals from their parents and says, right, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, actually, that was fine. And, like, I think there is perhaps a similar temptation, right? Like, 
I think what the verse is getting at, right, is like when it's somebody that is close to us, somebody that we're related to, right, it can feel like, oh, well, like it's not actually stealing to take from them. Like, right, yeah, we share what's theirs is mine, what mine is theirs, right? Like, it's okay because we're family. And this verse is pointing out, like, actually, it's not okay. Really, you can't steal from them just because they're your parents. And I think that there's, like, perhaps a temptation there also with blessings and with food that, like, we see ourselves as being entitled to it. And so, and I think this is, like, sort of experientially true, right? Like, it doesn't feel like stealing, right, to take some food and eat it without saying a blessing, right? It's like, oh, yeah, like, this is my food, And, like, even if we acknowledge, like, yeah, okay, sure, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow it, and maybe I didn't even, you know, cook it or prepare it, and certainly I am not God, right? But, like, I think it's easy to look at it and be like, yeah, this is mine. Eating it isn't theft. And I think that this verse is then, like, potentially a powerful reminder that, like, like, no, that's actually not totally true. You don't sort of have full entitlement to this thing. It actually comes from... God, and you need to acknowledge that. Right. And what do you think about this whole idea of stealing from God and the community of Israel? Yeah, it's interesting, right? You're right. I defaulted to talking about stealing from God, in part because there are some other texts that talk about eating without offering a blessing as stealing from God. And this one intentionally includes the community, too. So I think, again, like, first of all, I think there's, like, that same imagined, like, oh, like, we're all family, right? Like, (laughs) it's all part of the same ecosystem, which, like, might make that more tempting. But I wonder if actually what's happening there is, like, when we don't acknowledge where our food is coming from and, and don't treat that sort of with awe and gratitude and respect, we're eroding those norms, not just for ourselves, but also for the people around us. It can be a powerful thing to see somebody else offer gratitude for their food. And eating is something that's often done in community. And so when we become people who take from this world without offering that gratitude and respect, that, you know, certainly, like, changes the way our relationship with the world, but we also exist in a social ecosystem, and I think it has the potential to change for the worse the way that our community members see that relationship as well. Right. And we, maybe not explicitly, we don't thank the farmers when we say a blessing. But I think it's interesting to consider that if you're able to cultivate a sense of gratitude towards God, that I think there's a possibility that it can help you cultivate gratitude towards people as well. Mm-hmm. That if you're already in that mind state of gratitude when you interact with people, which is like such an amazing source of that feeling, right? Feeling gratitude towards other people that you're more open to conveying that. For sure. And I think those are both like really symbiotic, right? Like in both ways, right? I think sometimes we are moved in moments of gratitude to other people to then, like, also feel gratitude towards something larger. And, right, the flip side, that, like, through the practice of repeatedly offering gratitude to the divine, we're reminded also of the importance of offering gratitude to other people as well. So I love that that's kind of a two-way street, that, like, more gratitude is always a good thing, and that by cultivating that, right, it puts us in a mindset of gratitude towards others in other domains as well. Right. God, people, nature. Yeah. Yeah. So to go back to the first source, one thing I found really interesting is this inclusion of the word visavata 
you are full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Would you? How would you translate that word? Yeah. I mean, I think that you nailed it, right? I think it's that that you are full or you are satisfied, and I think there's something. I have a lot of thoughts about this, actually. I think, first of all, I think there's something profound about that actually being part of the equation. That, like, that is a thing that food is supposed to do for us, right? Like, it's not just fuel, but it actually is supposed to, like, satisfy and nourish us. There's something, like, beautiful about that. And I'll add also that, like, it's not clear, actually, where the boundaries between description and command are in this verse, right? Mm -hmm. So is this a description that, like, you're going to eat and you're going to be satisfied. And then, like, once you've done that, then kicks in an obligation to bless. Or actually, do we also have an obligation to eat and be satisfied? Like, are we actually obligated to fully nourish our bodies? Like, not just, like, eat enough to, like, eek by, but that, like, actually that there's a commandment towards fullness. And, and I don't think that's talking about, like, overeating, right? It's not, like, beyond what is healthy or appropriate for our bodies, but that, like, actually... Food is really supposed to fill us up, and I think there's something like sort of beautiful about that. One of the things that I think is really interesting, sort of going back to our conversation about food security, there are lots of times and places in Jewish history where this actually presents a little bit of a challenge. Because what happens when you're in a situation where you have enough to eat? You have enough food to fulfill the idea of ve'achalta, right? Like you ate, there's something, right? You have something to eat, but you don't actually have enough to be full, or to be satisfied, what does that mean for your obligation to bless? And there's actually like a lot of beautiful writing that's been done about this. I don't think it's always encountered as beautiful, but I think it's beautiful because the rabbis want to put people in a position where they're blessing, right? The rabbis want people to be able to save your katamazon, right? Like even if you didn't have as full and robust of a meal as you'd like. And so that's actually part of the effort, right? The rabbis will sort of say, right, like if you ate, you know, an olive's worth, an egg's worth, right, there are all these different measurements of like how much is actually eating and how much is being satisfied. Um, and they sort of standardize that, which on the one hand, sometimes I think feels kind of silly, right? Like, are you satisfied? I don't know. It depends on like how many calories you need and how hungry you were and when was the last time you ate, right? Like, and what and what did you eat, right? Like, there are a lot of things that go into whether or not a meal is satisfying beyond just the volume of the food. But I think ultimately one of the things that the rabbis are doing in standardizing that is like trying to create opportunities for people to bless, imagine, or like embody being satisfied, even if that's like not actually the feeling in their stomachs. And I think there's something like really beautiful about that, like spiritual satisfaction of being able to lean into this and be like, yes, like I had something to eat and I want to offer blessing and Jewish tradition gives me a framework for that and actually obligates me in that. Even if, if we wanted to use like a maximally expansive definition of being satisfied, like even if I didn't quite hit that threshold. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think I want to come at it from the opposite perspective. Well, maybe not opposite, but this idea of conscious eating that you really pay attention to your body when you're eating, because I think especially in a culture where there's too much food around us all the time, we can sometimes get into this mindset of just like putting food in our face and like going off and then feeling hungry again and doing it again. And we don't dwell in that moment and we don't really like feel the fullness. Mm -hmm. Even though our bodies have consumed many calories, there's no like stopping 
and like feeling that fullness and feeling that appreciation. And I think that it can kind of go a little farther to this question of consumption in general, in that I think some people will point to certain environmental problems and say the problem is we're just consuming too much stuff, not even food, but just like cheap stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like fills this hunger in us, right? But we never feel that satisfaction. Yeah. So to me, it's like, can you be present with the things that you're consuming with food and just appreciate the taste, appreciate that sense of fullness? And then that might actually lead to less of this like grabbing. And maybe with food, it's not as important, but with stuff, right? Like, do we need to consume all the stuff that we consume if we're actually able to appreciate what we have and to really feel that appreciation, then maybe we won't need more. No, I I love that. I I had never thought about sort of taking this verse outside of the context of food, but, but I think that that's, that that's spot on that like we don't always think about that step of vesavata of like being satisfied not only with what we've eaten but also with what we've acquired and the way that changes what we do next right like if we really feel that satisfaction and like offer gratitude for it then like maybe we we slow down our consumption in a different way I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamar Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.